Welcome to the Indie Writer Podcast, where we talk all things writing and indie publishing. Today, we're excited to be talking about writing the heist with Aya DeLeon. Aya teaches creative writing at UC Berkeley. Kensington Books publishes her award-winning feminist heist series about a group of women running a New York City health clinic who resort to crime to keep the doors open. The series includes Side Chick Nation, the first novel published about Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. Recently, Kensington published her first standalone novel, A Spy in the Struggle, about FBI infiltration of an African-American organization in the Bay Area fighting for climate justice and Black lives. Her work has appeared in Harper's Bazaar, Ebony, Guernica, and on Deaf Poetry. In 2022, Candlewick will publish Aya's first young adult novel in a Black Latina spy girl series called Undercover Latina. Her next adult book is Queen of Urban Prophecy, a novel that addresses misogyny in hip-hop, police violence, and climate justice, out in December. We are so excited to have you here, Aya. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is one that we've had on our list for topics, and we've just been really excited. So we're glad that you could join us, and your series looks phenomenal. And Carrie, how are you doing today? Good. I started reading the first book in the Justice Hustler series today. Very cool. Sucked me in immediately. (laughs) I definitely encourage people if they're kind of thinking strategically to start at the beginning, because then you get all the inside gossip and jokes. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm going to order one. And we'll put links for all of our listeners at the end with all of your books, and so we'll make it super easy. So just to start off, can we just have your opinion on what constitutes a heist novel for our listeners? Oh, what a good question. Well, I think, you know, for me, a heist novel means that some big chunk of the plot has to do with an individual or preferably a group of people sort of conspiring to steal something, which is going to require planning and, you know, usually some kind of technology and also a lot of the time, some kind of con, you know, like Mm -hmm. in order to really get past any type of significant security, you need like some, there's usually a technological piece. And then usually there's sort of like some kind of muscle someplace you got to sneak or okay. run or, and then there's always, you know, like the password or, or the this or the that that you've got to get from kind of getting close to somebody. Yeah. Okay. So t- Those are kind of the building blocks. Absolutely. Cool. So how did you get into writing heist novels? Is this what you started with? You know, it is not. Many years ago in my 20s, I was sort of working on a mystery, but it just didn't quite hold my interest. And then I worked on different books over the years. And then for my debut novel, I wanted to work on something that was commercial. So I wanted something that was kind of sexy, but that had some kind of identifiable genre in it as well. And that was when I went with Heist because I just... I really liked the idea, especially in this time where we have incredibly unjust income inequality and Mm -hmm. so much, you know, so many of the resources of the society getting concentrated with a smaller and smaller group of people, just heist felt very justifiable as a survival strategy for, to have different characters, you know, who are 
desperate and at the end of their rope and feel like they have to take very direct action to fundraise. Okay. So why don't you give us with that just a brief overview of your story? Sure. So the Justice Hustlers series starts with Uptown Thief. And this character, Marisol Rivera, is running this women's health clinic. And, you know, she's a former sex worker. She's working with women in the sex industries. And over the course of her work, they come across this really unscrupulous group of men who are involved in a sex trafficking scandal. And they decide, like, an opportunity to heist them kind of falls Mm. in her lap. And so, you know, they heist that guy and then they end up heisting a few other guys and then they get this opportunity to heist a billionaire and it just you know part of the heist trope is like it's going to be their one final big score right Mm. so this is going to set them for life and so they get that opportunity and you know she's kind of a financial mastermind slash criminal genius so she goes for it and it's yeah it's fun that's cool i feel like in a lot of those novels. So then you then have to figure out how do I have another story after this? Do your stories all follow the same characters? Or do they kind of branch off into others in the universe? So writing for Kensington, the way that they usually set these books up is that they're romantic suspense, right? So there's a romantic arc, and there's a suspense arc. Part of the setup with Kensington with these romances is that then each, each book needs a different protagonist. to kind of lead the story and to have the romance. And a clinic of women is a great community to do that with, right? So we start with Marisol, who kind of kicks everything off, and the crew of women who become her crew. So the first book originally had a secondary protagonist that had this sort of romantic back and forth with this other guy. And when I, Kensington bought the book, they were like, it's too long, you need to take stuff out. And actually this part, you can take this out and that could be the start of book two. So that actually, you know, worked really well. So that's how Kensington sets it up. And what I have is these books that sort of follow each other. And so they happen kind of subsequently. And each one has a different character who's sort of the protagonist who's having the adventure. And so the first one, you know, they need to steal this stuff so that the clinic can be set for life. And that works out. But then, you know, I had to come up with other things for them to steal, right? Because you can't, you know, like if if it's about money and this is going to be the big game changer, then after it happens, the game has Mm. to have been changed, right? And so, so in the second one, there's a stripper strike. And these strippers are going on strike for different labor conditions and they're trying to form a union, but it's not working because the mob is basically controlling this strip club. And so they really need, and the mob has some evidence on the guy who officially owns the strip club. So they've got to steal back the evidence. So it's really, you know, for me and creating this heist series, it's just coming up with a bunch of different things that people need to organize a heist around. And um, yeah, so each book is a little bit different. Do they follow a similar formula as you're writing them? Or do they kind of take on a life of their own? The first three definitely follow the same formula. It was really the formula that I developed in the first book, that there would be three, you know, main things going on. There's sort of like the action and heist plot, the romance and some kind of family drama. I like a little family drama. So that's sort of the setup in each of them. Awesome. So I would love to just know how you 
work your way through the heist. How much of the heist itself do you have planned before you begin writing? Do you start with the end goal and then work backwards? What does that process look like for you when you're actually, you know, putting it onto paper? So I'm an outliner. So I'm okay. outlining from the beginning. And so, I mean, the first book, I just stumbled around for about eight years and then finally finished it. But with the other ones, like I have the arc of the three different things. I have sort of the romance, the family drama, and the action, the heist. And then I sort of figure out what each of them is. And then I figure out how we're going to go back and forth between those three. So that's really my process. And you know, it's interesting. I'm a NaNoWriMo person. And so okay. people who do NaNoWriMo talk about, are you a plotter? Are you a pantser? And plotters, you know, we come up with very detailed outlines and then pantsers sort of fly by the seat of their pants. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely a plotter. And that's the way that that's the only way that has worked for me to do it. Yeah. Well, and that seems like with a story like this, kind of like with a mystery, you really do need to know where you're going to end up, which I've talked about on this show. I am definitely a pantser. But I'm trying to be a plotter because some of the stories that I have uh, in progress could really benefit from <laughs> some more of that uh, foresight. But sometimes you've got to pants your way through it and then you get to the end and then you realize like, okay, I need to go back and plant this in the beginning mm -hmm. and I need to, you know, set this up later. So, you know, the one thing I'll say that I've figured out in my role as a writing teacher, if you're not a plotter, just because it's more efficient, don't try and force yourself to do it if it's just not you. Because I did some pantsing on a recent draft of something and I didn't outline it and I all kinds of cool things. You know, I was like, mm. hey, you know, I, I figured things out. If I had set up to do it a particular way, I would have gone ahead and done it the way that I had set it. But it allowed me more room to just try things out, which is pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of how I find. I found like I need a loose structure. So not yeah. outlined with every single chapter, but just an idea of where the story is going to go and then fill it in later. So it seems like a common theme in heist stories is the team coming together to like plan the heist. So did you follow this convention? And what did that process of designing a team with everyone's skills and, you know, the cross dynamics of that team look like in these stories? That's such a good question, because I think the first one, I had a sense of these women working together and less sense of them each having a particular skill set and more just that these four characters were going to work together and that um, the, the kind of financial genius would be the one to sort of say, okay, you do this, you do this, and you do this. And one of the things that was cool was my editor at the time at Kensington said, you know, I, she was like, I want to start out with something with more action. And okay. I thought about it and I decided I wanted to start out with a chase scene. And out of that, chase scene, what I figured out was that this was sort of the heist that they stumbled into that bonded them all. So for me, that was how the team came together. Like this okay. group of women sort of stumbled into this opportunity. And, you know, especially with these sex traffickers, and they're like, Oh, no, he's a sex trafficker, we've got to steal the da da da. And so, you know, that was what brought them together this sort of moment. Okay, looks like we might have lost Carrie for a minute. No. <laughs> place everything's all right that's neat and so I'm kind of playing with that with my in-progress novel is designing that team and yeah. looking at those interdynamics and so I assume that your heist is there's kind of like a planning part of the heist story where you're showing the plan for that the characters are going to try to enact and 
obviously to keep your story interesting, it can't always go exactly according to plan. So how do you make sure that you've designed characters that can then think on their feet when something doesn't go according to plan? Right. Well, that I mean, that's sort of part of the heist formula is like, you know, we're going to do it, plot, plot, plot. Sometimes one of the kind of heist, one of the heist franchises that I learned a lot from was the TV show Leverage. Oh, okay. And I recommend it because it's just a heist procedural. So in, you know, and they are kind of like they heist, you know, bad guy corporations and other shady entities on the part of sort of underdog hurt, you know, wounded consumers or, you know, people who've just basically been mistreated by these big Mm -hmm. entities. And so it was great to watch that like as a heist procedural, because you just, you know, in however many seasons there are five something, you just see like 50 different heists. And so you get to see this group of, you know, maybe five people set up a whole bunch of different heists. It was great. Okay. Just in terms of You know, for me, it was great in terms of getting a sense of what in the popular imagination do we think that people can do? Because, you know, they'll be like, Mm. oh, yeah, I'll just go online and do that. You know, I'm not a hacker. (laughs) I know nothing about that. But, you know, it's like if that character can figure that out in two hours, you know, then that's, you know, then that's a reasonable thing to say someone can do in heist. Right. Well, and I'm sure there's like this the tightrope you have to walk where in a heist story, it's okay to have a little bit of suspension of disbelief in how things work out for your characters. But you also don't want, you know, the the reader to be scratching their head and saying, well, that's really not going to work. So where do you find that middle ground? I mean, I think that that's part of where, you know, like you said, there's always something that goes wrong, right? Because if everything goes off totally smoothly, then it's not it's not as interesting. You need some kind Mm -hmm. of problem or backlash or later on, you know, they get suspected or this person, you know, doesn't, you know, this person, you know, something goes wrong with someone on the team or just something happens to sort of shake things up and mess things up. And that's part of what makes it interesting. And the thing that gets really, or that got really fun for me, a couple books, you know, after the first book was, looking at those arcs and figuring out what were the points on the arc and then getting to think like, okay, what's going to go wrong in this heist? Like, you know, you figure out the heist and you're like, Ooh, what should go wrong? You know, what unexpected problem can happen here? And those were really fun. You know, I really, I liked that, you know, how could, how could things just go so terribly awry? (laughs) Right. How can I put my character through the ringer? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing about outlines, like you, you figure those problems out in the outline. And so I will figure out in the outline, like, oh, that's not going to work. Or, you know, you have this great idea, and then you go do a little research on it online. And you're like, oh, that's not a thing, or that doesn't work, or that was outlawed in 1975, or whatever it is, (laughs) right? And you're like, well, that won't be it. But then, you know, you figure out what's going to work. Mm hmm. I know that in like in writing dystopian and and also it sounds like the way that you write there's kind of the the arc of the characters and then there's kind of the arc of society and you deal with a lot of larger issues in your writing such as uh, class inequality and racial inequality and inequity how do you kind of balance that arc and have it fit within your story Well I think for me the key thing is to figure out the part of the plot and the heist that has a lot of social justice implications. Mm-hmm. Like for me, writing about sex workers was initially about like wanting to write 
books that were really politicized. And so sex work is just super politicized. You know, it's extremely controversial. You know, you have like, even among feminists, one group of feminists, like it's empowering another group of feminists, it's degrading, Mm -hmm. you know, a third group of feminists, like it's just people trying to survive in capitalism. So already you have a whole lot of controversy and a whole lot of connected issues, you know, gender, race, nationality, class, all that stuff. So I think for me, what's exciting is, you know, taking a plot, you know, like the plot of stealing something. And, you know, if you have a heist, you could have an Ocean's Eleven heist, which is Mm. like a bunch of men who are kind of career criminals and already probably have a fair amount of money stealing something. So you could have some guys like that stealing something, which is, you know, I mean, they're stealing, but it's ultimately pretty apolitical, right? Or you could have a group of women trying to run a sex work clinic in Manhattan and who are not getting the kind of support that they that they need from, you know, that the institutions of the society are failing them. The public funding mm-hmm. sector, philanthropy, et cetera, for various reasons is not meeting their needs. And so then they turn to a life of crime. So ultimately, you still have a heist with all the building blocks, but the reasons that they're mm-hmm. doing it and the characters and what the characters are up against really politicizes the situation. Just like I said in the second heist, you know, they're they're trying to unionize the strip club and they have to, you know, steal something. They're robbing the mob, right? To, okay. to get this guy out from under them or the third one where, you know, the strip club guy like skips the country with the strippers pensions. So, you know, they have to go (laughs) to the Caribbean to steal it back, you know? So I think that's to me what really brings in the social justice angle. Like people are, you know, what is any given character's motivation? And Mm -hmm. if you tie that motivation to something larger about social justice, then it makes a huge difference in terms of how the politics of the book land. Right. That's cool. I'm excited to just see how you weave that. Right. There has to be a reason for a heist because if you, if your reader isn't attuned to the reason, they're going to be like, why are these ladies stealing something? You know, like stealing is wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, and I know that, you know, that's really simplified, but I mean, from page one, I, I was sucked into the women in your book and wanting to know about their lives and wanting to know who they were. And, and I, um, I think you did a really good job with that. I'm excited to read more. Yeah. I mean, it was funny when I was first writing the book, I had a, a woman who was giving me some manuscript uh, critique and feedback. She said, you know, so most people are rule followers. She said, so you really have to make this clinic that they're stealing to support. You're going to have to really, really work to make it that rule followers will be on your side and wanting them to break the law. So, you know, it was good feedback that I needed to really make sure that I had drawn a clear delineation, you know, between not so much good and evil, but just to understand that the people who had the resources who were going to get them stolen had gotten them, you know, Mm. in an ill gotten fashion. Right. And you need to paint those characters as people that you're going to be rooting for, even if they're imperfect characters. That's right. Which is tricky to do sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, it can be really challenging. It's like the save the cat screenwriting advice, right? 
And I, I work as a librarian and I run into a lot of patrons or readers who are very like, very cut and dry when it, when it comes to what they read, you know, if somebody swears, they don't want it. If somebody like, you know, so it's for me as a person who enjoys books with characters with different moral codes, it's, um, it's pretty easy for me to understand where they're coming from. But like you said, there's all those rule followers out there. I'm a rule follower in everyday life, but yeah, I mean that for me, that's part of what's so fun about writing heist fiction. Like I certainly would love to like, you know, rob some of these corrupt financial institutions, (laughs) but I would get caught. Like I would not be able to pull it off. And so, you know, it's like a revenge fantasy around different ill-gotten gain in our society. So that's part of what I love about it. Oh, that's great. No, that's pretty much why I wrote my dystopian book that came out a couple years ago. So I really resonate with that. Yeah. (laughs) So we just added a new segment to our podcast that we're just trying to connect more with our audience. We're doing a little audience Q&A. And we did have a audience member submit a question for you. So I'm going to read it. And it doesn't look like it has too much to do with the genre. It's more just about your writing style. So this is from David Voiles on Twitter. And he said, I would imagine that being a respected writer of both poetry and prose, that you pay more attention to diction and phrasing in your prose than many who write only prose do. If that's true, do you consider this a blessing or a curse? (laughs) What a great question. So... I think I would have said at some point that I paid closer attention, but I think my process, you know, lately between being a parent and the pandemic is like, you know, I'm just trying to do quantity. And I feel like that's the other thing that NaNoWriMo really gave me was permission to just be like, I'm just going to quantity over quality to start with. Right. And Mm -hmm. then I go back and work with things at the sentence level. But I will say that for a long time, when I was in my 20s, I aspired to write novels, but I didn't have the attention span. And over the years in writing poetry and having to work on a, in a much smaller form at the sentence level, really thinking about every word, I think that that helped me a lot okay. with my prose. But I mean, I think my style of kind of writing a lot means that I'm moving faster through a lot of the drafts that I have a lot of friends who write literary fiction. And one of my friends was just talking about how sometimes she'll have a paragraph and she'll be like, Oh, something's missing. And then she'll translate it into Spanish and see if she notices (laughs) anything and then translate it back into English. You know, she's a really well-respected literary writer and you know, she's, I'm writing a book a year and she's definitely not writing a book a year, but like the books that she does write, like every single word is carefully thought about. Right. And, you know, writing poetry gave me the skills to think carefully about every word. And I am definitely not (laughs) thinking carefully (laughs) about every word. Like, I guess that's, that's the thing, right? I, yeah, as a young writer, I didn't know what I didn't know. Now I know I'm not doing it. So I know that, you know, I'm, but you also know that that's benefiting you right now. Like you're not trapped in in making sure that every sentence is perfect before you move on, which would not really all. kind of restrict <laughs> you. And I think it's learning to break 
old writing habits. Before I started writing fiction, I was a journalist. And it took me a lot of time to just change the way I was thinking about words and how I was organizing, you know, a page. And so I'm sure the same is true with with learning poetry before you learn to write prose. Absolutely. And I remember when I first started teaching writing in these sort of community settings, and I had a couple of women who were trained as journalists, and they felt so stuck and blocked because Mm -hmm. the journalistic formula was so specific. And they felt like they had, their mind knew how to do that. And their mind did not yet know how to do something different. Yeah, you have to unlearn some things before you can learn it again, which with everything in life, right, we're all unlearning and relearning. Kudos to you for figuring it out. Oh, I, yeah, I mean, it, I don't know if I've figured it out yet, but I'm, I'm better than I was. <laughs> so I was going to ask, as a poet, do you feel like you have a more natural rhythm of language and dialogue? Even if you're not overthinking it, do you feel like it's just there? Well, here are the two things that I will say that I know for sure about myself. As a writer, the first things that come out are plot and dialogue. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the first drafts of things are mostly plot and dialogue. And then I have to force myself to think about what else. A lot of times I'm actually going over a draft right now. um, And a lot of times I'll say things like describe her, you know, Mm -hmm. or set the cafe or visual detail, because I don't naturally write those things. And my mind doesn't come up with them in the flow. I have to come back later and stop and say, they're in a cafe. Can we get some details of the cafe? And then sort of force myself. Yeah, it's like, ah, forcing myself. I do too, but I'm the exact opposite where it's almost all world building, which maybe is just me deflecting so far from the journalism (laughs) because that's the part I really needed to work on. But now I have to go back and be like, make this dialogue better or this conversation more natural. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of it for me. And then the other piece is I read everything aloud. And Mm -hmm. I got that from poetry, you know, to read the poem aloud. And so by the time I publish any given book, I've read it aloud three or four times, you know, in different versions. And that's part of the editing process. Because when you read stuff aloud, you slow down, Mm -hmm. and you hear it. So that's definitely where my poetry training comes in. That's great. So I wanted to know, I'm looking at your standalone, and I was just wondering what inspired you to write that story, and do you have plans to continue writing Heist, or both, or where are you in that? So the standalone novel, actually, I started first, and I started writing it in my 20s, and, you know, it was a quirky book. It is a quirky book, and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't sell it, but also I was still very ignorant about how the industry worked. And if I had more information, maybe I would have sold it, but I didn't. And so I was four books in to my series when I, you know, and I've been this book, A Spy in the Struggle. I've been, you know, like I said, it's been with me since my 20s. So I was finally like, okay, I want to move this book. And I, I had someone who was a freelance editor look at it and she gave me feedback and it just seemed like in order to get it to be more of a mainstream book, to try and go out with my editor, to get a more mainstream publisher than Kensington, because Kensington is an indie publisher and they've been a great publisher for me. They've just sort of let me do my thing. You know, I have Mm. these quirky, it's like, oh, it's a political book. It's sexy. It's a heist. It's a romance. (laughs) Yeah, sure. You know, and they're like, yeah, bring it on, you know. 
they've and you know i've gotten good editing that's made each book better but like nothing you know as long as i stick within sort of their genre conventions which is like you know some kind of romantic suspense they'll let me do all the fun political stuff that i want to <laughs> do which has been great so yeah you know initially i thought like oh maybe this could be a breakout book for me and i could you know get a you know kind of level up in terms of advance amounts and visibility but then i decided you know what i love this book and i don't want to go through the project of sort of exploring what would make it more commercially appealing. Instead, I'm just, you know, I'm going to go to Kensington and be like, Hey, what do you guys think? And, you know, they were like, yeah, let's do it. So that's great. Yeah. So the standalone really was like decades before and, and that's been really fun. And then, you know, I was following it with another book. That's my first non heist, non spy book. I mean, I guess it's just, I guess it's, it still has a romance in it and it has a lot of political content and a lot of action, but it's my first book that isn't a crime fiction book because mm. heist and spy are both in the crime yeah. sort of genres. Yeah. So that one comes out in December. Ooh, exciting. Queen of Urban Prophecy. Although, I mean, in some ways, I guess it has crime novel elements because it has to do with police violence, but that's different than like, you know having a mystery that you're solving or having a heist that you're executing or spot, you know, someone spying on other people or, you know, the other, you know, different types of traditional crime. And then you have a young adult book. coming. I do, which is a spy book that comes out next year. I mean, the YA spy books are really fun. And I have another YA book that is probably going to come out this summer that's going to be serialized. And in a lot of ways, it's a short YA heist. These folks are kind of rescuing someone, you know, okay. and rescue stories in a lot of ways are like heist stories, right? You're trying to rescue someone from someone else's clutches and you have to figure out how to get in, what the logistics are and getting the person out. So I would love to know just how you build tension in your stories. Do you normally have like a ticking clock element or is there something else that you rely on? I mean, I think that's such a good question. I think, I don't know if I use a ticking clock. I mean, there's just all these levels of political pressure that make it urgent. Like, I think it's probably a little different for each book, but they're all related. Like the first book, you know, they're trying to save the, oh yeah, in the first book, they're trying to save the clinic. And up until like the big heist, they're just all these problems that I've set up for them. You know, like, the mortgage is due and they they've been getting in trouble with the fire code and you know the fire department has you know been citing them and yeah so i just i think it's more like building this pressure in that mm -hmm. book around their economic desperation right okay. so you have this sense of growing economic desperation they keep trying to just do the little heist to get by but you know eventually things escalate and they can't and then, you know, but I also create reasons that they don't want to do the heist, like emotional reasons as well as risk. So you always have that push pull between those two things. In the second book, you have, they're trying to unionize and the mob is interfering, right? Because the okay. mob wants to continue to exploit them. And so you have kind of the escalating violence of the mob trying to trying to silence the women who are fighting for the union. And okay. so that was creating that sense of escalating tension. In the third one, 
there's basically a case of mistaken identity and the protagonist needs to get her life back. She's okay. mistaken for someone else. And, you know, then she loses her job. She loses her fiance. She's under investigation by the FBI. So she's like, oh, I need to get my life back. I need to get my life back. And the guy skips town with the stripper's pensions, right? So you have like her having an individual set of needs and then the community being like, yeah, we, you know, we need to get this stuff back from him. So it's sort of all working together. And then I think in the fourth book, which was the one that was, that deviated the most from the, from the formula is the hurricane book. And it's, you know, this character and and a few characters going through Hurricane Maria. So that really created the sense of urgency because it's just, you know, people are trying to survive. So I think those were part of what created the stakes, you know, just trying to think like, how can I just when they're like, oh, maybe we won't do this heist or, you know, you have, you throw something at the, at the characters that like, this is too dangerous. You're going to get caught. And they're like, fine, we won't do it. And then you, oh no, we can't just, (laughs) you know, we're not going to make it if we just, you know, leave it alone. So we have to do it. So I think that that's part of the push pull that I play with Mm -hmm. in these books to make it, to create that tension. Okay. And in a lot of heist stories, they're kind of like hiding what they're really doing from loved ones and family members. Do you have some of those dynamics going on too? Oh, well, one of the things that I've enjoyed with definitely yes. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed is, you know, we have this crew that pops up in the first one that happens sort of organically, but then in the subsequent books, we have the Marisol, the boss, her thing is like, I don't want more people in this crew, like we're the crew, but then sometimes they need different services that people in the crew don't have. So then there's the question of who will we trust? Right. Right. And so that, I think that's the place where you get most of that kind of tension that there are people who are sort of on the outside or in the fourth one, you know, there's someone whose information they need, but they don't bring her all the way into their confidence. And okay. her having some information, but not all the information leads to some unexpected consequences. Yeah. And then there's also, you know, they run a they run an ab- above board health clinic. And so the co-director of the health clinic is someone who's like, I know you're doing something over there, but I need to not know what it is. So I have plausible deniability if you get busted, you know, so she's definitely somebody who is like knows, but doesn't know. So I think that that's always interesting when you have people doing something illegal, right? Like who's in on it, who's not in on it. And like, how do they have to like sneak around and we can't talk about this on the phone, you know, (laughs) that's a lot of layers to it. Do you ever play with like someone who maybe has a guilty conscience and everyone's worried they might flip on them or they might freak out or they might, you know, kind of give them up. You know, with the first book, I had a character who was kind of peripheral and, you know, she was somebody who I'm trying to remember exactly what her first role was, but she was sort of somebody who wanted to kind of get in the crew and the Marisol, the head woman was like, nah, mm, I don't, you know, but then my editor was like, we need more something here. We need more betrayal, you know? Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. So then I brought her in further so that she could betray them and then, you know, kind of get kicked out. But still, 
I don't know that I have folks who are like going to go to the cops or anything because this crew is very much not about that. But we do have characters that are not totally trustworthy. Also, you know, my characters are, you know, big trauma survivors. Mm -hmm. Like everybody has their own kind of tough story, but they've got a lot of tough stories. So that means that, you know, sometimes they do things like, you know, get a little too drunk Mm -hmm. or, you know, like one who had come out of an abusive relationship kind of like said a little too much to, you know, a formerly abusive person in her life. So you have these different ways that characters are vulnerable to letting things slip, et cetera. And then that creates a really interesting dynamic, like I said before, of like, we can't trust, you know, so-and-so, but then, you know, okay, even if you feel like you can't trust this person, what, um, if they're connected in some way to the crime, like what vulnerabilities does that leave the group with? So those have been really fun to play with. That's cool. And I have to say, like, that isn't that our world now? Like, yeah. you know, we're in these weird spaces. Like, sometimes you can see in here. Sometimes people are just the icon of a phone. And you're yeah. telling them, like, your deepest <laughs> no feelings in life. <laughs> we're just all rolling with it. It's all good. It's so funny. Well, because our listeners are all indie writers, we like to just kind of ask general resource questions. So are there were there any resources that were really valuable to you as you were writing these heist novels? Any craft books? or other books that you kind of pulled from or anything else that inspired you? I know you did mention that one TV show, but anything else? (laughs) Well, you know, the one thing that I will say is just, you know, I had mentioned that I have this YA Spy Girl series coming out and it actually came from my heist research. So I was looking around for women's heist stories and I couldn't, like at the time, this was like 2010, I couldn't find any, or I, I found very, very little. And what I found wasn't quite the flavor I was looking for. But then I did find this YA book by Allie Carter, Heist Society. Heist Society was really fun. And then that led me to her Gallagher Girls Spy series. And that led me to Robin Benway's AKA series. And what I was fascinated with, with both of these books, Benway and Carter, is they have basically spying as a metaphor for being a teenage girl. That Mm. like, here you are, you're entering into this realm where you're always having to disguise yourself and you're working with your hair and you're working with your makeup so that people, so that something about you is unrecognizable and that you have to like charm people, you have to get them to like you, you know, gossip and information, you know, you're kind of tracking information on people and you can't let certain things be revealed or you'll be given away or you'll be compromised. And, you know, just sort of, you know, spies as seductresses, like having to figure out how do you move in a certain kind of way through the world that those are all, yeah, those all work metaphorically for what it's like to be a teen girl. And when I read both of those and sort of decoded that both of them were playing with that, I was just like, oh, this is so exciting. Like, what would I have to say, you know, for mm-hmm. girls of color in this space? I love both of those series. And, you know, they're both white writers and their main protagonists are both white. So I was like, you know, what what added layer could we give this for mm-hmm. teen girls? But 
Yeah, I mean, I I watched a lot of heist films. You know, there was more stuff out in film. I watched the like 90s lesbian indie film Bound. I also watched Set It Off for the first time, which is a classic black female heist story from the 90s. And, you know, spoiler alert, they don't get away with it, right? So that was the other thing for me that was really important was like, you know, given the politics that I'm playing with, it's very much about feeling justified in a certain kind of heist vigilante justice and then getting away with it, right? That that money that money gets redistributed. If you could take a minute and just let our listeners know how to keep up with you. Oh, and absolutely. Where they can find you and yeah. Yes, I am. I spend most of my online time, if I'm online, at on Twitter. And it's just at Aya de Leon, A-Y-A-D-E-L-E-O-N. And I can be found there most days running my mouth about <laughs> writing and the various political issues that I care about and parenting. And I'm also on Instagram increasingly. You know, it's not as much of a run your mouth. It's more like show your camera feed <laughs> and my... <laughs> feel like I have more to say than I have images, but you know, you can find me on Instagram and that's Aya de Leon writes with an S on the end, which is also my Facebook page, Aya de Leon writes, although I'm not really on Facebook. I just have an author page, but you know, I, I can be found there and also on my blog, ayadeleon.com. Wonderful. Well, we'll put the links to all of those in our show notes so they're easy to find. And Yay. it was such a pleasure, Aya. Thanks so much for oh, being so here. Oh, so fun. Thanks so much for inviting me. Thanks for having me. And, you know, I'm just really excited that you're also writing Heist. I think Heist is really fun. And I think that, you know, I'm very excited about all of the legal and congressional attempts to redistribute some wealth a little bit especially in the pandemic but you know in the meantime heist is a form of direct action that i approve of especially in literature we want to thank the writing block community for the continued support you can find us on twitter instagram or facebook or at writingblock.com no k remember to subscribe share and tell your friends thanks everyone and happy writing